pray together, all right? Our Heavenly Father, what a privilege we are to be covered under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price, and what a significant amount was paid for the likes of us. That the Son of God would literally pour out His life's blood to redeem sinful, wayward, fickle mankind. So that as many as would believe in Him, you would give them the ability to become the children of God. And indeed we are. That's not bragging on us, that's rejoicing in our Master. We've come today to your table to remember the goodness of remembering Jesus. Of all the monuments and crosses and institutions and churches and ministry centers and hospitals that have been built in the name of Jesus, you never said do that in your remembrance. When you held the bread on the night of the Lord's Supper and you held the cup, in those simple elements you said do this and remember me. This morning, we're going to do exactly what you ask. We're going to do what you commanded. We're coming to your table, asking for mercy and cleansing and forgiveness anew so that we might really see with our eyes of faith the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning and each time we come to have the Lord's Supper is a very special time for us. If you're a guest with us on this Labor Day weekend, we welcome you. We delight in this place of meeting with the Lord, and I can't think of a better way on a, any weekend, certainly a holiday weekend, to celebrate a holy day. That's what the word holiday stands for, is abbreviated in English, but it really is holy day, and that's what every holiday is. And so even when you go to a store in significant holiday seasons, they say, happy holidays. You can say, well, a happy holy day to you too, and you're telling the truth. Today is a holy day. We remember the many people who labor daily in our factories and industries and oil fields and other places to be able to give us the things we need. And America has a backbone of people working all the time that make us and have made us a great nation. But today we began a special series in the life of our church. If you're active in the leadership of the church, you know that today's the day we began the Connect One series, which for the next several weeks... The sermon and the Sunday school lesson will parallel in topic, not in verses. I'm not going to teach your lesson, and you won't be preaching my sermon, I don't think. Maybe an aftermath of it, but a review of it, but I don't think you'll be preaching it. But we're going to follow up very similar themes because for six weeks, we want to talk about the same things for six consecutive weeks and the goal of connecting people back to the Lord God, connecting us to each other, and connecting each one of us to at least one person that we know that ought to be in church and ought to be in the kingdom. They're either without Christ or they're away from Christ and desperately need Christ. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be involved in a mutual sharing together, a parallel track. You've seen in the hallway banners for the last several weeks. And some of you have tried to guess what those are. Some said, I think that's about vacation Bible school. Others said, I think it's about the number of coffee cups we sell. It's not any of those. All those statistics you see on banners are about our world and the number of people that are without Christ, some dying every second. Some, uh, it shows you, one banner tells how many died today. How many will die while we're in worship that don't know Christ? Some have never heard his name. And so as we enter this connect one of trying to be connected to one another and connected to God and connected to lost people, we want to be reminded everywhere we walk, are you in a small group 
for the fellowship of connecting together. And if not, get in one, please. And if you are, is your focus outward to say, who are we connecting to the gospel in these days when men desperately need Jesus Christ? And that's the purpose, thus, of Connect One. We also have installed out in the corridor, and I commend Kelly, uh, Kelly Kerr and, and, and Joe for helping us get that done. It was their vision. Say, let's put up blackboards. Let's put up banners. And they did that. And I'm grateful for Joe Young and Kelly and that vision. And one of the things they did is put blackboards at strategic places. For the purpose of you writing the first name, you don't, don't put the full name. Just write the first name of somebody that's on your heart that you want people to pray for. And we're going to have, over time, individuals and groups and some Sunday school classes said, we're going to take time and close our class and go to this chalkboard every week. We're going to pray for those names on that board. So if you want people prayed for for salvation, to repent and come back to church, some are no Christ, but they're a long way off, then that's what those boards are for. Today, the topic in Sunday school and the topic in church is one great creator and you're going to talk about a marvelous lesson about the God who created all things, and truly he did. And everything that God made, we've talked about this so many times in recent weeks because of the message series. He made everything that is, and he made it good. And Christ, obviously, is the word of God, the word of God from the beginning. All things were made by him and for him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It was created for him and by him, and by him all things hold together. So we understand that premise. And you're going to study more about that today in Sunday school. But what I want to talk about today is how the Creator chose to forgive mankind and spent all the pages of Scripture with the marvelous story that Creator is coming after us to recreate us in the image of God, to make us new, to redeem us, to cleanse us of sin, to wipe away that marred image that was not His intention, but we made our image because we disobeyed God. The story of Scripture is all about a God who loves us we are not like any other faith. People say, well, it's just your religion. We don't have a religion. Christianity is the only one that's not a religion. It is a relationship. God came after us in the, in the cool of the day. It was God seeking Adam. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. Jesus said, you must be born again of the Spirit. If you're born of the flesh, you're flesh. If you're born of the Spirit, you will inherit eternal life. We do not have a religion we have a God who loves us, who came after us, who sent his son to die for us, to redeem us. And all who believe in him are transformed. He has a place for us in heaven. And he has sealed us and filled us with his spirit, given his word as a lamp to our feet. And that great creator created the way that we could be restored to God. And that's the story of scripture. And so the one who began it all is the one who's going to end it all. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And today we're going to talk about that creator one of the places we see God's greatest creation is at the Lord's Supper because it's there that Jesus said, when you hold this wafer, this bread, you're representing my body, which allowed the sins to be placed on his body to be removed from us. And when you drink this cup, it's a symbol of his blood that was shed to cover all of our sin. The recreation that he gives us is demonstrated in the elements of the Lord's Supper, one of the ordinances of the church. The other ordinance is baptism. Where a person is asked, have you truly trusted Jesus Christ? If they say no, then get out of the water. Water doesn't save you. So getting a shower on Saturday night would make every person in the world clean. It makes you physically clean. It doesn't change you spiritually. Water in a church is just water. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 
And so when a person says, I've trusted Christ, then the second ordinance of the church, which really precedes baptism in priority, is when a person acknowledges Jesus, they are buried to an old way of life, buried to their past, all their sins forgiven and forgotten, and raised to a brand new life in Jesus Christ. So that's the picture of the recreation, the salvation, the regeneration that's given us through Christ Jesus our Lord. What I want to do this morning very quickly is take you back to the creator who watched his people gradually forget God and gradually wander as children of Israel going down into Egypt and for 430 years were held in Egyptian bondage. And this creator who created the earth and this creator who recreated the earth after the flood of Noah this, this creator who had a nation but was not yet a nation. They were, they were the descendants of Abraham, but they were slaves. They were not in the land of promise. They were in the land of Egypt. They did not yet have the laws to govern them, a leader to lead them. And they had forgotten, really, the God who was their God. In Egypt, there were many gods. And he said, it's time for me to create a people, a holy people unto me. And it was a foreshadowing of the people that would come through the blood of Jesus at the Passover, we see God's people are not yet a nation, but God wants them to come out and be a nation of, of priests unto him. To be, to be redeemed on that night before they left Egypt, they had to shed the blood of a lamb. For us to be redeemed, God sent the Lamb of God to pay for our sin. The blood shed does not save you. You say, Brother Nick, what? ho, 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 you went a little too far there. No, you're not listening. Now you are. The blood shed doesn't save you. What saves you? When you apply the shed blood of Jesus on your heart by the power of the Spirit and His blood cleanses you of all sin. Shed blood, shed blood without application is just one dead person or animal. But shed blood applied to the sins of mankind will wash away every sin. And though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Not one Israeli would have left Egypt if they'd said, well, I killed the lamb. Did you put it on the door? No, I hate to mess up, mess up my door. I just plastered that. I'm not going to put that on the door. They would have died in Egypt. You know what God said? When you kill the lamb, do what? Take a hyssop branch and you apply that blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house. When you came to know Jesus, you were asked, are you ready to allow the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ to stand in your stead to pay sin's penalty that's too great for you, that he's willing to pay in your behalf, that you might go free? And if you say no, you'll die in your sin. You say, well, that's not right. Jesus died on the cross. Yes, but it's only efficacious when you apply the blood to your life through faith. So, in the Passover, there was a lamb slain. In Christianity, there's a lamb slain. And once the blood was applied, the Bible says God led them out. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, it says God led them out on eagles, carried them out on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. That he might be to them their God and they would be to him a kingdom of priests. That wasn't going to be realized till the New Testament, but that's what God made them to be. And then God gave the law. 
And in the law, he gave the instructions of how we could, how, how, how can we live with God? Why? Because slaves in Egypt didn't know, well, what does our God require of us? We, we know about Ra, we know about Osiris, and we know about Isis. We, we, don't know about, we don't know about God of heaven. And so God said, I'll make it clear there are ten of those. And he gave them the ten great laws so they know how to live. The laws of the nation, which are the laws of a people. And then God gave them in that same time that Moses was alone with God, he gave them the instructions for the marvelous thing we call the tabernacle. It was God's dwelling place with man. It was God in Exodus 6, 7 who said, I will make you to me for a people and I'll be your God. And he said in Exodus 25, 8, Moses, make a sanctuary so I can dwell among my people. Isn't that amazing? This is the people so rebellious as are we. This is a people so lacking in faith, as are we. And he said, don't only give them the law. I want to move in among you. I don't want to just be a, a pillar of fire above you. I, I want to live among my people. And that's the great promise of the kingdom to come. He shall dwell with his people and wipe away every tear from their eyes. And he will be our God and we will be his people. In that same instruction, he gave the tabernacle. I want you to look at this just a minute. And I think I'll try to alternate between. This is, if you were looking down on the ancient tabernacle, you know that God demanded and commanded how that was to be made. Okay? Why is that not working all of a sudden? Is that working? Let's lower the lights a minute. It's working in my palm. They're not working on the screen. Well, best laid plans. Here we go. You know that the perimeter of the tabernacle was a white curtain separating it from the other tents of the people. On this end, on my, to, to my right, you'll notice that there's a jagged line right here at the entry. And that jagged line is the place where the temple curtain had an opening. Notice there's not openings, there's an opening. You can only come to God one way, even in the Old Testament. That particular curtain of entry was purple and blue and scarlet. Scarlet is the picture of blood. Blue is the color of heaven. The two, heaven and, God, heaven and earth coming together in unity, would form the color purple. One day, there would be a son of God who would be pleasing to heaven, walk among men, and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way that you can enter is by me. Notice once you come in, there is a brazen altar. This was where you would offer your sacrifice. You could not come into worship if you didn't bring something to God. Isn't that amazing? Boy, Baptists are over that, aren't we? We're over that. You know, a vast number of our people never in a year give anything to God. Isn't that amazing? You know, as a Jew, you could not worship if you didn't bring something before God, and that something was an offering, either a peace offering, in this case a sin offering, and that sin offering had to be offered on this brazen altar. You see the square just inside the entry. You could not go further with God if you did not first deal with your sin and have a sacrifice, sacrificial gift to offer to God. There is no way for our sins to be covered but by the shedding of blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no covering. So if you don't get your sins covered, you can can't go further than to, uh, you, you can never go further with God until you said I've allowed God to deal with my sin 
It's going to tell you how you can come to God. See, we, we, don't, we, we can't come, well, I'll come any way I want to. Well, you're not getting further than the entry. You can come any way you want to, but I hope you like the gate. Because the Bible says, you come as I require. So here you come and you must bring a sacrifice and then past that brazen altar is the place where the priest would have what they call the sea of the temple. It was a golden laver. It was filled with water. And that's where this priest would wash and cleanse for the, uh, for, for the filth of sin from the sacrifice that was on them. They had to wash and clean their hands and clean the blood before they went in because it was such a bloody mess. This area, as you first come in, was a continual mess of sacrificial bloody offerings. And then there's a washing. And the Bible says we have been washed with the pure word of God. We have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. We have been cleansed by him. Baptism is a picture of the washing away, the cleansing away of what God did for us on a cross. But then let's come to the next entry. You've come by way of the one way in, and there's only one way through Christ. You've come by sacrifice. You've come by washing. But you get into the holy place. And inside the holy place, you see three things. There's a, looks like an equal sign at the top, a straight line at the bottom, and over here, one little square before the next red line. Inside the holy place, there were three elements. At the top, you're going to see a table of showbread. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. At the bottom, there was a six-pronged candlestick representing God's light. It was to be filled. It was, first of all, to be of one piece of pure gold. One piece, one piece of pure gold. One of the last elements to be built for the new temple that's in the Temple Institute in Jerusalem was the candlestick. Because it's hard to find enough gold to make it of one piece. How costly would that be? So when you say, I just give that to the church, I, that's good enough to give down there. Maybe you ought to reread how we come before God. Do you know what kind of oil they'd put in it? It wasn't Wesson. It wasn't 10W40. What was it? Purest of olive oil. Why? Olive oil, olive always represents that which is eternal. You can't really kill an olive tree. It's one of those, if you cut it down at the stump, the shoots come up. That's what the Bible says in Isaiah 11. Though the stump from the stump... The root of Jesse came a shoot. Who was that shoot? The living Jesus Christ. So the Bible says on the way in that there's a lampstand that has olive oil representing that which is eternal. It has great value because it's golden. And then over here is the golden altar. And the priest, when he would sacrifice the sins, he would go inside and he would stop. He would enter the holy place, which was that larger outer area of the tabernacle. He'd enter the holy place and go to the brazen, excuse me, to the golden altar right in front of the veil. And he would take the precious sacrifice of blood and many times mix it with incense or wine to give it a fragrance. And he would offer that up in the golden altar. And it was a sweet smelling savor to God that man was serious enough in seeking him to be rid of their sin, to have fellowship restored with the creator. And God is the one who created the way to allow that to happen. When that sweet-smelling savor came up from the golden altar, 
It was a fragrance. It's a sweet smell. It's a sweet feeling a parent has when a child knows they've done wrong and you don't have to chide them. They come to you in brokenness and their heart is heavy and they're pleading, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I did not mean to do that. I am so sorry. And you don't feel, you don't feel anger. You feel great mercy. But sad thing is, we don't often say, I'm really sorry. We start making excuses why I didn't do it. The sweet-smelling savor of repentance, I fear, is lost today in salvation. Everybody wants heaven, but nobody wants to turn from sin. So here's the golden altar, but where I want to focus before I get to it, let's go on through the veil. One, one time a year, you and I can go 365 days, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. One time a year is the only time that a priest could go into that little box on the end, the Holy of Holies. All of the tent was called the Holy, uh, the, the Holy Place, but inside the Holy Place was the veiled off Holy of Holies, which was believed to be the very throne, representing, representing the very throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant. With angels facing, their wings facing, they always look down on this small mercy seat, the box uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. Inside that box were the two tables of the law, the tip end of the budding rod of Aaron, and a jar of manna. And on top was a golden, and covered in gold was the Ark of the Covenant. On top was a golden flat flat space called the mercy seat and the priest one time a year once he had atoned and paid for his own sin he came in as the ambassador of all of Israel going before God on the day of atonement asking God to forgive the people of their sin and he would enter the veil uh, the first curtain into the holy place and then come behind the veil of the holy of holies And he would sprinkle the blood that was shed out here on the brazen altar. He would take it directly to the mercy seat and sprinkle the blood that God, seeing the blood, would receive it as a covering for the sins of man and offer forgiveness to his people. Now, that was the law. There's a problem with that. You see, the truth is the shed blood of a lamb offered by an earthly priest behind a veil on a box doesn't have the power to cleanse me. It has the power to make me feel I honored the law. But if I had time today and went around this room, many of you in this room would say, Brother Nick, I believe God forgive, forgave me, but I always will live with such guilt. Your Old Testament. Your Old Testament. Because you see, Jesus says, that John said in 1 John 1, 1.9, He is faithful and just to forgive us. That's Old Testament. But here's what Jesus did that's greater. He's grateful, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Are you listening? He's faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, I wish we had time today to walk through all of that, but you get the picture. So here's the Holy of Holies. And by the way, when Jesus died, the veil in the temple that was the width of a man's hand was torn in two from top to bottom. Why? Because God honored Jesus as our high priest who is ever behind the veil at the mercy seat with his own blood shed to provide a way that you and I might enter in the presence of God, not one day a year, but every moment of every day through the blood of Jesus, we have access to the Father and He is Jesus is ever interceding as a faithful high priest, ever interceding on our behalf before our Father. 
Now, now this is the creator who did this. See, Moses didn't get alone in the wilderness. So well, let me draw up something that looks like it'd be meaningful. The same God who gave him laws on Sinai gave him the design of what to build. So when you and I want to come to him, he said, it has to be on my terms. I wonder how many of us have come that way this morning by way of the sacrifice through the washing, through the cleansing in order to enter into the holy place through the blood of Jesus that we can have fellowship at the Lord's Supper. I want to go back and here it is. At the Lord's Supper, at the Lord's Supper, we go to this middle room. There's three elements there. We have the table of showbread. We have a line at the bottom is the branch lampstand and the little, little bitty square just before the last holy of holy veils is the altar of incense. So you have three objects there. The table of showbread is one that so often confuses people. You're going to say, I don't, I don't know what that means. First, what does showbread mean? Show means it's showing in the presence of God. How close is the table to the Holy of Holies? It's right there. It's just right there. Right there's the veil, and right there's the table. So this table is right in the presence of the Almighty. This table is called the, 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 the table of face, meaning it's, uh, it's the table in the face of God. It's called the table that is hallowed in 1 Samuel. It is holy under the Lord. It's called the table of continuance because the law stated that bread shall be before me day and night in exchange only on the Sabbath. And the priest had it worked out, whereas one set of priests moved the bread that was a week old. The other set of priests were coming in with the bread that was new, so the table was never empty. Now, lest you think this is a massive table, I mean, we're talking about the whole nation, so the table must have been huge, right? Do you know how big it was? Three feet by two, two feet and a quarter by 18 inches. <laughs> That's not as big as two of those chairs put together. That's how big was the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it was the table of showbread. Three feet long. 18 inches wide and two feet and a quarter tall. What was to be on that table? First of all, it was made of acacia wood, and then it was to be covered with pure gold. Why? Wood always represents man. Gold always represents God. Everything in the presence of God is worked out for mankind because the God man who came that we might see him put our sins on him be accepted to God through him on this small golden table it was always in the presence guess what if the table is at the north of your picture in the holy place at the south end of that picture was the golden lampstand burning day and night with the oil from an olive tree, which means it's eternally lasting. What does the Bible say? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus reminded us that God created light and God was light and in Him. There was no darkness, not any at all. The first thing God ever created, He said, let there be what? Light. The Bible says in heaven, it's a land where there is no darkness and no more night. When Paul, the apostle, saw the blinding light, blinding vision from heaven, it was filled with so much light, he went blind for three days. When Peter was delivered from, from the jail in Philippi, the Bible says there was a great light that filled that prison cell even as the earth shook. God is light. 
And what's in this picture? As you enter, you don't come on your terms. We're talking about the Creator who made the world and said, this is the way you worship. You come on my terms. You come by sacrifice and cleansing and you enter by one way only because there's not many. There's one way in and one way in the holy place and one way in the holy of holies. And he said, when you come, you come into the very light of God. What does that mean? No sins hidden. No motive hidden. No agenda hidden. You are now in the radiant light of God and in Him there's no darkness and to Him darkness is as light for nothing is hidden from His eyes. The Bible says this table of bread is Jesus who is absolutely pure and in His presence and the Bible says there's to be 12 loaves of bread which represents all mankind, all of Israel. In the New Testament, there were 12 apostles, all the New Testament. And here it was, 12 loaves, 12 loaves directly across from the very presence of the light of God. And within a few feet was the altar of incense, which offered up the sweet-smelling savor of man's sin forgiven, walking now in the light with the one who is the bread of life, who offers our life as bread to be used in the hands of the master. Notice the scripture says there were 12 loaves these are not you can use it if you want to these are not unleavened what these are not unleavened this is the banquet place of God this is in his presence you say but leaven always represents sin well can I just tell you scripture makes it real clear in Leviticus 25 how much wheat you use to make one of these loaves do you remember Four quarts. Can you imagine a four quart tortilla? <laughs> four quarts of fine flour. Jesus is not just, just put anything in there, it'd be all right. It's just for the temple. No, there's not to be a lump or any part that's unground, for Jesus was ground and beaten and torn and every way by wicked men who hate righteousness and we're back. The Bible says you make that a very fine flour and you put 12 of those loaves there and you put two containers of incense to symbolize that these are sacrificial loaves. Now, the Bible says it's to be offered with the loaves. It's not to be poured on because the priests are going to eat these loaves. It was to be burned or brought from that which had been burned to symbolize these, these loaves have been purified under God. There are 12 loaves. Do you know if there were just 11 loaves, they couldn't have had the Sabbath day meal for the priests? Why? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Do you understand if you come before God without unity, you can go home? Do you understand if Israel had tried to come and the priests had tried to go before God without unity of the bread, the 12 loaves representing every single tribe, if we said, well, you know, two of our tribes didn't make it today, then they said, I'm sorry, we can't proceed with worship. What if we waited to have church till every Baptist showed up on Sunday? Have you ever been in church where every Baptist showed up? Hmm. The Bible says that table is just three feet wide, uh, three, three feet long and an inch, a foot and a half wide and two and a half feet off the floor, two and a quarter feet off the floor. And yet that little table of bread represented 
not only mankind before God, but it represents the one who said, I am the bread of life. I am the real bread. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Your father Moses gave you manna in the wilderness, but I have come down from heaven and I give you bread to eat that you know not of. This was the bread of heaven. God said, when you eat this bread, remember me. Why? It was on the bread represents flesh. It was on the flesh of Jesus that the sins of man were placed under the light of God's observation. It was by his blood that was offered on the brazen altar and the cleansing that blood provided that even allowed us to come into God's presence, to be on the table of presence, the table of faith, as we saw our sin offering offered to us by offered to God by our high priest Jesus, whose blood was very pleasing to God, for he was the beloved Son of God who offered his very life that I could go free. And when he shed his blood. And it was taken before the Father at the golden altar to represent the sweet-smelling savor of sins forgiven. God said, I accept. And he said to his son, get up. You really have been obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he raised him from the dead. And Jesus said, when you go to this table in the New Testament, would you do one thing? Would you just remember me? What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? If I've done this properly, right now your eyes are on Jesus. That's where they belong. I close with this scripture. I want you to look at it with me. 1 John chapter 1. Look with me and we've got to observe the Lord's Supper. Here it is. 1 John chapter 1. John was overwhelmed that he got to see Jesus. He was just an old fisherman. He was overwhelmed because there were Gnostics who said Jesus didn't really, he couldn't have been God. Sin is, flesh is sinful. God wouldn't dare become a man. He's just a man sinful. God couldn't be, God couldn't be flesh. You're, you're mistaken. In 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he said, don't you give me that. That which was from the beginning, he said, we've heard. You, you hear this old fisherman? He said, I got to hear the one who spoke in the very beginning, said, let there be light. I heard him with my own ears of flesh. I will one day and you will too. When he calls me by name, it says, come home. John said, I heard him. The one from the beginning, I heard him. I've seen him with my eyes. We observed him. It means we stared at him and we touched him with our hands. Don't tell me he wasn't really a man. He's the one who is concerning the very word of life. He is life. That life was revealed and we've seen it. And we testify and declare to you that the eternal life that was with the Father was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you to make our joy complete. And this is the message we heard from him and declare to you, God is light. There's absolutely no darkness in him. And if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're lying. We are not practicing the truth. 
You want to have fellowship with the Creator? You want to commune with the Creator? If we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to take this moment and examine yourself. That's what the Bible says we must do before we eat the bread and drink the cup. And perhaps there's someone in the room who said, Brother Nick, I don't know Jesus. I can't take this Lord's Supper. Then please don't do so. Thank you for being honest enough to admit I, I'm not a Christian, so I don't need to be eating this bread. You're exactly right because the Bible says if you do, you eat condemnation to your soul if you don't know Christ. You're blaspheming because to take of the bread, you say, I belong to Jesus. I, I'm a part of his body. Don't do that if you don't belong to him. Don't lie in his presence. Don't drink the cup if you're not a Christian because the cup is symbolic of those who've been washed in the blood of Christ. If that's not you, please don't make a mockery. But you know, there's some of you here that say, Brother Nick, I don't know Christ, but I came because I want to know him. Then this is your moment. See, if you don't know Christ, you can come right now. He's in the room and you can come now and say, I'm ready to receive him for him to be my Lord. Then I want to invite you to come right now. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand to make it easier for those who may want to come to know Christ. You're one of those that's here in the room and you've heard the message of how God said, the Creator said, you can come back to me if there's the sacrifice and there's been a sacrifice of Jesus and if there's cleansing and He cleanses from all sin. And if you're ready to taste of the bread of life who is Jesus Christ and walk in the light as He's in the light and let your sin be a, a your sacrifice of Jesus be a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God so that when you enter the very presence of God, you enter through the blood of Jesus and you say brother Nick that's what I want to do I want to come to Christ and come right now pastors in the room you be at the front to receive them if you're ready to join the church come right now come quickly your person say I, I, I want to be baptized brother Nick I didn't realize the picture that it, that it builds and presents and that's what I want to do I want I know Christ and I want to follow in baptism come now and tell a pastor but for all of us who know Christ this is a moment we're not off the hook the Bible says, let every man examine himself. And so there it is. Before we eat this bread and drink this cup, that God said is the table of fellowship before his very presence, eaten by priests in the holy place. That's where we're headed. As the priest unto God, a royal nation, a chosen priesthood. If that's, if that's you, then priests always had to clean up their own lives first. But now's a moment of confession and cleansing. Let God work in you. Won't you do it? Father, speak to your people. Deal with us according to the massive mercy of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're singing. You need to come. Come quickly. Come now. Won't you do it? Come. Sing it together, would you? Sing it. Then Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust. The sweetest frame, but hope. Oh.
wafer. I want to ask you very carefully to take that in your hand. If you've not done this before, there are two tabs. The first one is purely uh, cellophane, uh, not the metal one, not the aluminum one, but the cellophane one. If you'll pull it back, there's a little wafer just under there over the top of your cup. If you'll take that and not spill the cup yet, not open the cup yet, you won't spill it. Hold in your hand that wafer if you would. Scripture says on the night that Jesus was with the disciples, on the night he was betrayed, what a night that would have been. On the night he was betrayed on his way to the cross through Gethsemane and trials all night long, he took bread. Bread had been around for a long time. It was the way God gave as a means of entering into his presence, the bread of his face, the bread in his presence. That's Jesus, and that's where he wants us. And he took the bread, held it in his hand. Can you imagine the bread of life holding bread? The disciples are already listening, just like you do at the Lord's Supper, because the Passover moment, this moment is when you really remember God delivered us and made us a nation. He brought us out of bondage, and he made us a people. And they were listening with rapt attention, and Jesus shocked them. took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and here's what he said they'd never heard this before gentlemen this is my body this is my body I'm offering it for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, what what amazing love you demonstrated toward us and while we were still, still sinning. You died for us. All of our sins were future when you died. We hadn't been born yet. Sadly, we went a long way around, many of us, before we came to the truth of really serving Jesus. Thank you for being patient and loving and gracious and kind and forgiving and merciful. And thank you that all your promises and your yes. We eat this bread with gratitude, remembering what you did for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name. If you'll very carefully take that second tab and be very careful so you don't get it on you. There's a cup underneath that. You don't have to tear the tab completely off. You can leave it. It makes it easier to throw away in a minute. The Bible says after dinner, Jesus took the cup and he blessed it. And he said likewise words those men had never heard. Gentlemen, this cup is the new covenant, no longer under the covenant of law from Sinai. This is the cup of the new covenant that's about to be sealed in the morning with the blood of Jesus on the cross, a second mountain, Mount Calvary. 
His cup is the new covenant in my blood. Would you do this? He said, I'm not going to drink this new with you till I drink it again in my Father's kingdom. But when you do it, will you remember me? Father, I pray today we'll be mindful of Jesus because this cup represents our great, the greatest gift that washed away every sin. Thank you for loving us that much. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says he took the cup and he drank first. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me.